Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. I want to ask if we could all please just stand for a moment. We're going to pray together. Why don't you put your hand over your heart and just say this with me. Holy Spirit, I commit this time to you. And I ask you, Lord, to speak to my life. Let your word penetrate my heart. Transform my mind. Because I know you have so much planned for me. You have so much more in store for me. And I know that I will hear it today. Let your word bear fruit. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. You may take your seats. Amen. Wow, it's so good to be here in Nashville. Wow. So I think it's still morning. Good morning. Are you guys doing well? All right. In Africa, when we ask a question, you have to respond back. So it's good to see you. Are you smiling? Come on, give the person next to you your best smile. And the person on the other side, your nicest smile. Wow. It is such an honor to be here. Um, really, it's my privilege to be here. And uh, what an amazing wedding we had yesterday. It was incredible. Amen. And um, we are so happy that Alvin got married and, and happy for him and Jasmine. And uh, the whole of South Africa celebrates this amazing occasion. And uh, he's been such a great friend uh, to me. We're always speaking, even though I'm on the other side of the world in, on FaceTime. And um, he came and lived with me for six weeks when he came to uh, South Africa while well, he was staying with one of my team members, and uh, we really connected, and he's really like a brother to me, and um, I love him so much, and that's why I came all the way for the wedding, so uh, it, it was really incredible, and uh, we even, we were roommates at a conference we were in, in South America, and uh, I remember the one night, I had such a deep revelation, you know, while I was with Alvin, I was just sleeping, and I, and I thought I heard the Lord, and I just woke up, and it was Alvin snoring. It wasn't the Lord, but <laughs> it's like, Lord, is that? No, that's Alvin. But uh, no, he's such an incredible guy, and I love him so much. So it's really a privilege. Thank you, Pastor Alvin and Cece, for having me here today. Um, it's a privilege. My parents uh, also send their greetings to you and the church, and uh, we love you guys so much. And uh, it's really an honor for us to know you and uh, to... Um, yes, just to be connected, our families, so thank you so much. And um, yes, I'd like to, before I get into the word, uh, honor my parents as well. Um, I have such incredible parents, and I thank God for them. Uh, I have parents who don't just talk about Jesus, but they walk the walk. And um, I, have, I have a lot of friends who are pastors' kids, but they just want to run away from church. But as soon as I had the opportunity, I got into the ministry because I have parents who really showed me the love of God through their lifestyles. And um, they didn't just talk about it, but they really lived out the love of God. And, you know, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. 
And I believe that God gave me a lot by giving me parents like I have. And it, I, it would be wrong for me to let them down and live in another way. And I'm so thankful for them, really. I, I love them dearly. And wherever I go, I honor them because uh, I, know where, I know why I am where I am. And if I ever achieve anything, I know why. And um, I want to pass that down to my children and their children that we don't try to live our own rogue individual ambitions, but we build upon what the Lord is doing. And I'm thankful. I'm sixth generation pastor on my mom's side and third generation on my dad's side. So it's not like I had a choice, but, <laughs> but I love them so much. And of course, the most incredible person in the world to me is my darling wife. Uh, her name is Blessing. Do we have a photo? That is my African queen right there. So, yes. All right, let's close in prayer so I can go home. <laughs> wow. She's incredible. She loves God so much, and uh, that's what attracted me to her. Um, besides, you know... She's got a really genuine heart. And we have three kids already. We, we have these three. I love them so much. I miss my wife. I'm waiting a couple of days till I say I miss my kids. Um, <laughs> just joking. Or am I? Amen. So, I want to uh, share the Word of God with you this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew chapter 8, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 this morning, and uh, we have a, a theme happening here at Nashville Life called zeal for the house, zeal for the house, having a passion for the house, and um, it's, it's an incredible theme, it's such an important thing to have a church that is passionate about the things of God, that are working together to fulfill the mandate that God has put on the church. It's so crucial. Nothing is worse than a church that is a congregation, but actually they're a congregation on Sundays, but they are individuals from Mondays to Saturdays. They don't work on the collective commission that God has given that church. And so we know when we, when we join a church, we understand that there are always two things at play. There's individual growth, every person to grow individually in every area of their lives, becoming more like Christ, denying the flesh, and living in the fruit of the Spirit. But something that's also just as important in every church body is the collective responsibility of the congregants of the church to fulfill the mission that God has placed on that church. We are not the singular cells of the body. We are the body of Christ. And it's not just about going to church and being blessed for yourself and, and achieving your own ambitions, but it's about what is God calling us to do. We call to something that is bigger than our own plan. We are called to something bigger than ourselves. And I believe that through these next few weeks, having a zeal for the house, you are going to be able to learn and understand more and maybe even clearer and deeper the call of God on this church and what we are called to do. And not every church is the same. That's why we don't compare ourselves. We don't look at other churches and say, well, they don't do that and we do this. No, they are different parts of the body. And we don't ever 
judge ourselves according to someone else's call or someone else's mission. You will not stand accountable for God by the standards of other churches, but by the call of God upon what we have to do in this city, in this state, in this nation. And did we execute that faithfully as a body of believers? So you can't just grow as an individual and just receive, receive, receive. As a body, we have to also know what are we trying to achieve together? There's teamwork. The apostles work together. And though they, they, they accomplished many things as individuals, there was a commission, commission, not individual missions. Amen? And that's what we want. And I love that word zeal. Um, and it means obviously passion and a drive and um, the, the, the love of God. And the thing about zeal is that it's important where it comes from. Where it comes from. Where does your passion come from? You know, some people, you look at someone and they're so driven, so passionate. They get up early in the morning, they, they sleep late at night, and you're like, wow, that person is so driven, so passionate. But God doesn't look at the passion. He looks at the heart behind the passion. Because some people are driven, but they're driven by fear. They're driven by not ever being wanting to be poor, so they really work hard. Some people are driven by insecurities. They want to prove something. They want to prove people wrong. Well, my fifth grade teacher said I couldn't, so I showed her. Like, really? That's your reason? No, that's not the drive. That's not the passion. That's not why. So many people are driven by things that just show that there's something broken in them. So when we talk about zeal for the house, we got to make sure that when we live for the Lord and when we seek to achieve things for the kingdom of God, that it is coming from a right place, a pure place, a pure heart. Because in today's day and age, and I'm not, I'm not even talking about in the secular world, even in church, how many people are driven by selfish ambition and not by a pure heart. You have many people that they, they want to be the, the preacher. They want to be the man of God. They want to be on the stage. They want to they have, you know, they love preaching, but they don't love the people they preach to. They love singing. I'm a worship leader. But they don't love people. And so they love the stage. We have to be careful that whatever we do in church for the gospel, just because you say in Jesus' name doesn't mean it's from Jesus himself. And so I want to share the scripture with you. And uh, it comes from the, the book of Matthew chapter 5. And it's one of the most challenging pieces of scripture, if you read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it is the highest standard of living. It is the Sermon on the Mount. It is the teaching of Christ. We know the preaching of Christ was so that we can have eternal salvation. It dealt with our spiritual state. But the teaching of Christ is before we get to that eternal salvation, how should we live? How do we apply kingdom principles on earth? And it's crazy to me that the very first word in the first teaching as we open to the book of Matthew in, in chapter 5, the very first word is the word blessed in verse 3. Jesus opens up his teaching 
And he says, blessed. Who wants to be blessed? That tells me that Jesus' desire for us is that we are blessed. But unfortunately, in Western culture, we have relegated the word blessing to the material. You know, someone gets a promotion and say, wow, you're blessed. We say, oh, wow, you got a new house. That is such a blessing. That's not biblical. Jesus taught us how to live in order to be blessed. And I see a lot of people, they want the blessing of God, but they're not prepared to live the life required for the true blessing of God. They're not willing to have the lifestyle to receive the true blessing of the Lord. And that's why Jesus teaches us. And it's amazing what the first word is after blessed. He said, blessed are those who are poor. Don't we associate rich to the word blessed? But Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. <laughs> and he goes through it. I'm not going to go through all of them today, but he speaks about the attitudes of the heart. He says, if you want to be blessed, this is what your life should look like. And today I want to focus in on verse number eight, where Jesus says, blessed are the pure of heart. The pure of heart. For they shall see God. I wonder what it would mean if you, have, if you have an impure heart that you won't see God. A pure heart. And the problem was that Jesus lived during a time where he was in a nation that was religious. The Jewish nation. They were God's nation. They were the original one nation under God. And they had all these Pharisees. And what's amazing to me is as Jesus is walking, going about his ministry, going about his purpose, the people he got angry with were not the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the corrupt government officials. The people he got angry with were not the thieves and the prisoners and the criminals. The people that angered Jesus the most were the pastors of the day. The Pharisees. And because we preach about it and we know the Bible, the Pharisees get a very bad reputation. So when I say Pharisee, people think that's an evil person. That, that those people crucified Jesus. They, they get a very bad reputation. But the truth is they had fooled everyone except Jesus. If we were living in that day, they would have been the men of God. We would have listened to them for direction. Why? They prayed more than anybody they lifted their hands and prayed on the corners of the street, and they could pray for hours. In fact, they were lawyers. They knew the law, the Old Testament. They had to know the Old Testament off by heart. So they could quote the Bible better than any of us here could ever quote the Bible. So to everybody, these people that would be at the synagogue, at the church, at the temple, that would pray, that would preach, that would teach, that knew the word, they looked so godly. They looked so spiritual. 
And Jesus looked them dead in the eyes and said, you snakes. You are whitewashed tombs. Which means you look godly and beautiful and clean on the outside. But I know that you are dead on the inside. That your heart is not right. That God is not in you. I don't recognize myself in you. You are doing the right things. But I can tell you have an evil motive. And so before we jump into what we can do for God and we're going to have zeal for the house and we're going to go out, we're going to reach people with the gospel, we're going to make disciples, we're going to impact our community. The first thing we have to make sure is that the source of that zeal is real and pure and not because we want prominence and a name. We don't want people, oh, people know me. They invite me to speak at conferences or they do, you know, it's not about the prominence of the work, but that you actually love people. Jesus says on these two commandments hang the entire Bible. Bible 101, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Love, the Lord, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love. But unfortunately today, you know, many times we can be just like the Pharisees. Because we know what to do church-wise. But sometimes our hearts are so far away. So far away. You know, you can tell by how the Pharisees acted where they exposed themselves. You know, in the one instance, they bring the lady who was caught in adultery. This is how proud of themselves they were about their own spirituality. That they had put themselves at a pedestal where they said, I am better than this woman. They, would, they brought this woman who had cheated on her husband, brought her before Christ. And they said, give us the order to condemn, listen, the adultery. That day was one of the greatest showing of mercy moments that you would ever read about. And it wasn't Jesus showing mercy to the adulterer that was caught. But it was Jesus showing mercy to the adulterers who wanted to condemn one that was just like them. Because though they had not committed adultery in practice, their hearts were so full of adultery because they were not serving the Lord. They were not worshiping God. And so that moment, Jesus didn't have mercy just on the woman, but even greater, he had mercy on the Pharisees who wanted to stone someone who had the same heart as they did. Because they were adulterous. Because they did not serve the Lord and love the Lord. They had the appearance of godliness, but they denied the power of His Spirit and of His love. And that day, if Jesus said, let he with adultery be condemned right now, all of them would have died. But what we do is we have these degrees of holiness, of self-righteousness, at least I didn't do it physically. 
I'm not as bad as the other guy. Isn't that, you know, I can just imagine the human nature, the talks that go on in prison. Like, hey, I only murdered one person. That guy murdered two people. Then the guy who murdered two people. Yes, but I don't torture my victims. I, I kill them quickly. Not like that guy. He tortures people before he kills them. Yes, but I only tortured them because they were rich. They had, they, they, and they exploited people. And we start justifying what is wrong in our lives. And we actually start justifying ourselves so much that we turn what is evil and we start thinking that it's good. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Well, she got caught in adultery. Your heart is adultery, sir. That's why Jesus said, it's not about if you actually commit adultery, if you just look at a woman and lust after her, you have an adulterous heart. It is the same heart. It is the same wickedness. It is the same sin before God. He said, it's not if you actually murder someone. If you just hate your brother in your heart, you have the same heart as the murderer sitting in prison. It's just you haven't been caught because only God can see your heart. Only God can see it. And what does he yearn for? Genuine people. That are honest about who they are. And not become like the Pharisees who actually become proud of what's worst about them. <laughs> Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Because sometimes the thing that you are proud of the most that you accomplish could be the place where you are the most wretched. The Pharisees were proud of being godly, yet they were the most ungodly. Because that's what pride is. When you think you got something under control and it puts you above and you have this degree of superiority and then God resists you because if there's one thing that God can't stand is a heart that is adulterous towards him. But on the outside, we sing, we shout, we've got our Bible. And sometimes our heart is so far away from him. And he desires a pure heart. Think about when Jesus was sitting with a Pharisee and the prostitute came and started washing the feet of Jesus. She was crying. And the Pharisee was like, Jesus, this is a business meeting. Why are you letting this woman wash my feet? Wash your feet. Why are you letting her interrupt and disrupt? We, we're busy having a conversation, an academic conversation, an important conversation. Jesus says, don't take, don't take that away from her. The reason she worships me at that level is because she has acknowledged that her sin is at that level and that she needs forgiveness at that level. But you, because you think your sin is at this level, and you think you only need forgiveness at this level, you're not really going to worship me. But the truth is, he's just as much of a sinner as she is. But he has decided 
that he's got some degrees of holiness more than her. And that's why some people who even claim to live holy don't even worship God freely because they don't know how much grace has done for them because they don't think they're as wretched as we really are. And that's why Jeremiah 17 says, what is more wretched, what is more deceitful than the heart of a man? <laughs> Jesus calls, a young rich ruler runs to Jesus. He falls on his knees. He comes like this. What a spiritual man. What a holy man. What a man of God. He has humility. Because he fell before Jesus on his knees but as the story develops, we learned that that was just an outward hypocrisy. He falls before Jesus. He starts worshiping. He says, Jesus, I'm here. I'm worshiping you. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do the commandments. Then what happens? He says, but I've kept the commandments. Pride. I've kept the commandments. I'm, I go to church. I lift my hands. I even give my money. Not even 10%, 11%. I pray before I eat. I say grace. I put my kids in a Christian school. Jesus, I've kept the commandments, the pride. And Jesus knew his idol. He said, you lack one thing. How about you sell all your money, get rid of all your money, and come follow me? And Jesus was being sincere. He wanted him to come back. He wanted him to have eternal life. He said, young man, sell your assets, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And Jesus saw the idol in his heart. You know, sometimes we have the audacity to enter his presence with idols in our hearts. In the book of Ezekiel, God calls it the most detestable sin. When they were in the temple, in church, in secret, worshiping other gods. An impure heart, but with pure appearance. You know, it reminds me of someone we don't talk about too much because he's not the main character in the story. And that's in the story of David. David was about to be anointed to be king. And if you know the story, the prophet Samuel, one of the greatest prophets... He, he came to the house of Jesse and he said, Jesse, I need to anoint the king. Without a thought, without even uh, speaking about it, thinking about it, Jesse and everybody agreed, call Eliab. Call Eliab, the oldest. Why? Because Eliab, to everybody who was at the house, Everyone that knew that family, if anyone asked who should be the king of Israel, every person, including David, would say Eliab. He talks the talk. He looks like he walks the walk. He's big. He speaks with nobility. He's got confidence. He looks like he cares. He goes the extra mile. He's got a plan. He's a natural leader. He's got the charisma, the personality, and, and, and he's got respect. He's well-mannered. Everything, every edge is so smooth. Everyone thought that Eliab will be the king. He even fooled the prophet. Even Samuel was like, surely this must be God's chosen one. 
He looks so spiritual, so godly, so amazing. He looks like an Avengers superhero. You look at him and it's like, this guy is going to be the king. And even the man of God, the anointed prophet who's supposed to see, couldn't see the one thing only God sees. Because as Eliab walks in front of Samuel, God speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, I don't judge like you judge. I don't get fooled by the outward appearance and the smooth talk of a man. He says, but I have rejected this man because I know who he is in secret. I know what he does in secret. I know what he thinks when no one is looking and no one can hear him and no one is watching. I have judged him and I have rejected him for his heart is evil. And then they called David, the guy no one would have chose. And they said, this is the man. God says, this is my guy. This is the king, the little shepherd boy. But why David? Because Eliab was who he was supposed to be in front of everybody. But David was who he was supposed to be when no one was watching. When there were just sheep and cattle and chickens running around. And there was just wildlife. And no one was watching. But what did David want to do in his spare time? Worship the Lord. No one was looking. No one was watching. It's not a good sign. If you only pray when others are praying. It's not a good sign if you only read the word or you only, in the presence of God, you only worship because others are worshiping around you. But David, it was who he was. He loved God. He loved the Lord. And he didn't need public perception to push him to worship the Lord. <laughs> so what I want to do is I want to give you just three vital signs of how to check that you have a pure heart. Is that okay? There, there might be a lot more, and I'm not saying these are, these are the only three, but these are three things I wanted to just touch on that you can measure where you find yourself. And the first one when you have a pure heart, number one is that you will have perfect peace. Perfect peace. John chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus says, I'm leaving with you a gift, peace of mind and heart. The peace I give you is a gift and the world cannot give it. Do you know? That as a human being, you cannot manufacture the peace of God. You can't just decide, I'm at peace. It is something that only comes from Him. It is something only found in His presence. It is something that only God can give you. And that is peace on the inside, right? That is peace of heart, peace of mind. But you know what I found? That Many people, especially in this generation of what we have available to us, they have taught themselves to find peace somewhere else. And so you have born again, tongue-speaking Christians who are 
anxious and depressed and worried and need psychiatrists and always need pills and always this and that because they have taught themselves as they live. I know this might be a bit old school Christianity that I have a full faith that the Prince of Peace will give me perfect peace when I am in Him. So what have you taught yourself to find peace in when you go through rough times? And maybe the thing is not even evil of itself, but the fact that you make it your peace makes it evil to you. Some people run when things are going rough. They just shut the door and they go and binge on Netflix. Some people, it's sex. Some people, it's a substance. Some people, it's eating. You don't want to talk about this? <laughs> Where, where do you find peace? What have you taught yourself? What is your knee-jerk reaction that when you find conflict in your heart, what do you do? Because the only way to find peace is to resolve conflict. But we try to escape conflict. And the peace of the world is always going to leave you lacking. It is never eternal or permanent. You will always feel empty again. And you'll need more and more and more and more. But you know what? As children of God, when you have a pure heart after God, you know what you need to learn to start doing is that when you have internal conflict, to work the conflict out with Jesus. Let me give you a scripture that's very popular. Many people quote it, but they don't apply it. Philippians 4 verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing. For some people, that's like, wow, I've been diagnosed with anxiety. I've got this, Paul. I've got... The Bible just says, oh, don't be anxious. How? What does the next part of the verse say? Prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to. And the next verse says, and the God of peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your So what do I need to learn to do? I need to learn that if I want peace in my heart and in my soul, I have to start having difficult conversations with Jesus. Difficult conversations. Not come before God, oh God, I need money, I need health, I need wealth, I need... No. The Bible says He knows what you need before you need, so you're wasting your time. Come to Him and say, Lord, why do I care so much about what people think? Show me. Lord, why? Why did I say that? Why did I lie and I knew I was lying? It's one of the most dangerous but the most powerful prayers to pray. And David prayed it all the time. He said, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. Why am I like this? I will not accept it. Why do I have such a low self-esteem? Why, why do I get so arrogant in this area? Why do I treat my wife like this when I know it's wrong? 
Why do I treat my husband like that when I know that my personality is not an excuse? You have to have difficult conversations to deal with a conflict inside so that you can experience the peace of God. It's the same principle in marriage. You have a peaceful marriage not because by some weird lottery and God's grace you married an angel. You have peace, true peace in a marriage where you're not secretly resenting one another, where you're not secretly bitter towards your spouse, where you don't have to put out an appearance. You have true peace in your home when you learn to have difficult conversations. So when you have peace with Christ and you learn to go to Him, you learn to talk to Him, you'll start having the perfect peace of God that you could be in prison but have peace. You could be crucified but have peace. Your life could be a mess on the outside, but on the inside, you have peace. Number two. <laughs> when you have a pure heart, you always find you have peace and then you'll always have persistent prayer. You'll have a lifestyle of prayer. Someone with a pure heart is someone that is in constant communication with the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they're going to get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. The fact that you're shutting the door means it's not just going to be two minutes. Right? He says, then your father who sees everything will reward you. I want to ask you, not how is your public life, but how is your private life? How is your private life? How much time do you spend in the presence of the Lord? Because you want to, not because there's a crisis. How much time do you spend worshiping the Lord? And you don't need a song that's telling you what to sing to worship Him. You can worship Him in your own words, with your own song, with your whatever's on your heart. And because you're alone, it doesn't matter how you sing. <laughs> Amen. You, you can be your own worship leader. Hallelujah. But there is a persistent prayer. There is a strong prayer. It is the oxygen of a child of God. And you know, if you don't have a strong prayer life, I can guarantee you that something is off in your heart and with your faith. And of course, I'm talking about children of God. There's something off in your heart and with your faith. And somewhere you've allowed the enemy to remove you from the very place that you were created to be in. The secret place. And I want to close with this point. Point number three. And that is, when you have a pure heart, that you will always have what we call people passion. A passion for people.
if you only live for you, then the Spirit of God is not active in you. When there's selfish ambition, and that's what we had in the early church. Even Paul, in the letter to the Philippians in chapter 1, said, some people are preaching, but it's completely from selfish ambition. But people are getting saved, so God will use them. But I don't know if those preachers themselves will see God. And the question is, have we come to a place where we've decided to lay down our lives for others? Because that is what Jesus did. And when you follow Jesus, that is the appropriate reaction. 1 John chapter 1, sorry, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, In this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Should we not do the same for one another. Do you know what it means to lay down your life for others? It means that you lay down your time, you lay down your resources, you lay down your emotional energy, you lay down everything you can to love others, to spread the gospel, to be the light. And when we stop affecting people on a daily basis and being the light and the salt, we can clearly know that something is wrong with our heart because the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Loving others. Sharing our testimony. Sharing the gospel. And I want to close with this story. It's really been pressed on my heart this week about Peter in the book of Luke chapter 5. Peter is standing with everyone listening to the teaching of Christ. And Jesus tells Peter, Peter, get into your boat, go into the deep, and go fishing. Throw in your net. And Peter said, but Jesus, I had fished the whole night and caught nothing. But just because you said it, I'll go. Now, Peter must have been thinking in his heart, I don't know what Jesus is on today. <laughs> Do you know why? Because people don't always think about the fact that Peter was a professional fisherman. Fishing was his industry. You know when someone talks to you about your industry, you, really, you have all the answers. Right? So they start, Jesus wants to, Jesus a carpenter wants to tell Peter the fisherman when to fish. The middle of the day is the worst time to fish. My grandfather was a fisherman. We would never fish in the middle of the day because the fish were not close to the surface. He'd always fish at dawn and always fish at dusk. He'd wake us up real early just to go and do that. And sometimes we did catch nothing because my grandfather wasn't professional, all right? But it was fun. But here's Peter. I want you to think about this. Peter, the professional, experienced, skilled, talented, educated fisherman. Not educated college, like he was an educated in the art of fishing. He had the right boat geared for fishing. He had the right nets to catch the most fish. He had everything. He knew when to fish. He knew where were the fish. He knew how he could sell them. He made a business out of fishing. When you look at Peter's personality, you knew this guy always wanted to be the best. And Jesus says, go fish. And Peter says, but I caught nothing. Now, for Peter to catch nothing the whole night is not normal. That's not even a goldfish. He caught nothing. 
Not one fish, not even a frog or something, not even like debris or litter. Peter caught nothing. That is not normal to fish the whole night. If you said that to people in the fishing industry, they'd be like, what are you doing? You know, unless you're looking for some weird, specific, unique fish that no one can find. But just normal fishing, nothing. (laughs) Then Jesus says, go fish. And then what does Peter do? He throws his net on the other side. And all of a sudden, the net gets full of fish. And the nets start breaking. The boats start sinking. And I know I've heard this message growing up in church. I've heard this parable preached many times where people are like, God's getting ready to give you a net breaking, boat sinking, blessing. (laughs) And then when I think about it, I'm like, my net's breaking is not a good thing. And by Peter's reaction, he wasn't happy. Do you know what Peter did? He fell on his knees. He looked at Jesus and he said, get away from me. I'm not worthy of you. Do you know why? Because in one night and in one moment, Peter realized that everything he had built his life on, his skill, his own talent, his own effort, his own strategy, his own equipment, his own, uh, his own intelligence of how to do certain things, all his savvy. He learned that throughout the night, Jesus kept all the fish from him. Because you might think it's your social media strategy that's bringing in the harvest. You might think it's your experience, but Jesus taught a principle in this moment that there is only one Lord of the harvest, and that at any moment, whatever your industry might be, if he wanted to, he could stop you from catching one fish. You can have the greatest equipment, greatest mind, so educated, you've been doing this for a long time, everyone looks up to you, you are a master, you know You know what, what you're going to do next, you have it all planned out. Peter had it all planned out. We're going fishing tonight, and he caught nothing. And in one moment, he learned that everything he put his faith in is meaningless. If he doesn't have the favor of the Lord of the harvest... Amen. And then this is what Jesus said. After all of that, here Peter is. He's broken. I mean, he almost swore at Jesus. It's like, get away from me. I'm not worthy of you. He, he got a glimpse into his heart and into his pride and into his arrogance. And he saw he's nothing. He thought he was this great fisherman. And Jesus just exposed him. And he's like, Jesus, get away from me. I've just had a revelation. It's been revealed to me. I can see now the wickedness of my own pride. It's like, just get away from me. I'm not worthy of you. You are too holy for me. But Jesus, in his grace, doesn't go away. He says, you know what, Peter? 
don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. He says, I'm, I've got a higher calling for you. You thought life was about fish. Let me use a contemporary word. You thought life was about wealth, material wealth, material success. <laughs> Jesus says, no, follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. I will use your life to impact other lives. I will use your life to bring others out of darkness and into light. Because that is the greatest thing you can do. It's not your career, but it's about impacting others and bringing other people into the kingdom of God. And so I, I like to ask Christians a, a question that make them very uncomfortable. And I ask them, not out of spite, but out of love, because this is the true heart of the church of Christ, is when was the last time you brought someone out of darkness and into light? And you were a fisher of men, not a fisher of money. And you know what the grace of God is? Jesus says, if you follow me, I will make you. Which means you might not get it right. You might not get it right in a few months. You might mess up. You might say the wrong thing. I will continue to make you a fisher of men. But thank God we are not going to fish men out of selfish ambition. Why do we fish men? Because we actually love people. Together? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask us to do something in this moment, the docs. But I'm going to invite you. I'm going to go on my knees because that's how desperate I am to have a pure heart before the Lord. Because we can... You can have a pure heart for 30 years and just one day some pride creeps in and, and you become corrupted. So it's a daily search, a daily examination. That's what communion is about. That's what the table is about. It says examine yourself. Are we going to pray that prayer? Search my heart, Lord. Are we going to repent and ask Him to give us pure hearts and clean hearts today? Today, let's not leave being better on the outside but being changed on the inside. And maybe there are some of you here today and maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you've heard about God growing up in this country. You've, you've heard about the gospel, but you know you've never actually decided to follow Jesus. You've never had his peace, his forgiveness, his love. But you say today, I want that. When we pray, I want you to just say, Lord, I'm gonna follow you. I, I want you to come into my life. I want you to help me and give me a new heart today because I want to be a child of God. I want to be a follower of Jesus, not the fake thing, but the real thing. And for those who are already children of God, we're going to pray and just say, Lord, reveal to me the pride, reveal to me the wickedness, the adultery. Lord, show it to me, but today I'm going to repent and I can't change myself, but you can change me. And so I'm going to invite you, if you want to do this with me, we're going to go on our knees and we're going to pray. Is that okay? Amen. And you're going to pray your own words. And 
the music is going to go up so that you don't think about the people around you. And I want you just to start speaking to the Lord. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Come on, just pour out your heart before the Lord. Jesus thank you Jesus come on let's stand to our feet we're gonna pray thank you Lord we humble ourselves before you 
Forgive us for our pride and our arrogance, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, where we fake it. We don't want to be fake. Won't you put your hand on your heart and just say this with me? Say with me, Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes me as white as snow. Forgive me, Lord, from all my transgressions. Remove the deepest iniquity. Give me a pure heart, a clean heart. Thank you for your mercy, for your grace. And then in your own words, why don't you just start thanking him and just speaking to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You didn't give up on us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just start thanking him. Just start being grateful. Come on and let's thank the Lord. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for a clean heart. Thank you for a clean heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a clean heart. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Let's all just sing one course of that. Put your hand on your heart, Lord, fill our hearts, God. thank you for your word today. We thank you for giving us a clean heart, God. Continue to search our hearts. Lord, we just thank you. You're awesome. You're awesome. We thank you for your perfect will being done in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word today. Come on. Come on. Lift your voices and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, thank him for what he's done in your heart today. Thank him for the word today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you receive the Lord Jesus today, if you said yes to Jesus today, we want to know about it. We want to hear from you. Those who are here, those who are online, we want to encourage you to text belong to 77411 and let us know that you said yes to Jesus. We have information we would love to share with you so that we can help you walk out this journey as Jesus continues to to bless us all to become fishers of men. Amen. So please text belong. Also we're going to ask those who are praying at the altar, our prayer warriors to come forward. Um, And if you have a prayer request, they are here to pray with you, a prayer request or need they are here or if you said yes to Jesus today and you're here we would love to know they would love to pray with you today God is so so good did you enjoy that word 
Come on, let's give God another hand clap of praise. He's good. Amen. Amen. Please keep Pastor Pearson in your prayers. He'll be flying out today. And um, we just thank God for, for the favor that God has blessed this house to have them here. So pray for him to have safe travel. Thank you again for coming to worship with us. Let's pray. I'm going to dismiss us. Father God, we just thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway, God. And we just thank you for the deep work that you've started in our hearts today. And I pray that you just continue, continue to purify our hearts. Continue, Lord, to, to make us fishers of men, God. You're so awesome. Bless every family in this place today, every heart. And we thank you in advance, Father God, for finishing the work that you've started in us because you're faithful. Bless us to enjoy the rest of our day in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be blessed, be covered, have a wonderful day. Thank you for worshiping with us. God bless you. And remember the altar is open. The altar is open for those who want prayer. God bless you.